listener. Hi, and welcome back to Broadsheet Around Town. I'm Emma Joyce, Features Editor, and I confess, a bit of a Mona Foma virgin. Mona Foma, for the uninitiated, is the summer festival of art, music, and other stuff connected to Tasmania's Museum of Old and New Art, or Mona. It's three weekends of unpredictable happenings. 2023's festival included feminist icon Peaches, British poet musician Kay Tempest, and a complaints choir. This year's lineup is just as eclectic, from Courtney Barnett to Tism. To help us unpack it, we've invited festival director Brian Ritchie into the studio. The bassist of the Violent Femmes has been curating the festival for 16 years. We tracked him down while he was in Sydney to hear about this year's headliners, a restaurant he rates, and his morning ritual involving a Japanese bamboo flute. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much for coming into the studio today. Hi, Emma. It's wonderful to be here. Before we get into the lineup this year for Monofoma, which is going to be very exciting, I want to know what the moment of 2023's festival was for you. The 2023 festival was very special because we had taken over the old TAFE building in Launceston and we had a community choir singing a beautiful medley of of lyrics that were donated by the Launceston audience, which were mainly complaints about the city of Launceston. So that that was really a heartwarming moment. To me, that was like kind of the spirit of Monofoma that year. Yeah, like a middle finger up to everything. It was just fun to get people involved and expressing themselves in a lighthearted way. Is there a complaint that like rings in your mind to this minute? Uh, that the parking uh, meters don't work. <laughs> it's always parking, isn't yeah. it? I feel like Sydney's audience would be the same. Monofoma on its website says it has no permanent physical home, but we probably associate it with A, Hobart and B, Launceston for good reason. I'd love to know what's happening this year at the Cataract Gorge because that environment, that space is so dramatic. It's kind of, it's almost reason enough to go. Well, in in, uh, Launceston, the Cataract Gorge is a remarkable natural feature, unlike any other urban environment I've ever Mm -hmm. seen. And I've been in hundreds and hundreds of cities around the globe. It's pretty remarkable. So we're doing a, a concert, it's a free concert with TISM, which is, that in itself is uh, pretty, not completely unprecedented, but they've only done three gigs in the last 25 years or so. But we've always wanted to get them into the festival, and then they actually uh, reached out to us this year, because I had made offers previous years, and then they said, finally, we're ready to do this. That's sounding like a bit of a theme. So I know that Queens of the Stone Age also reached out to you. Are you having to do any reach outs now or or do people come to you to be involved? Yeah, maybe we should just turn it into a fringe festival and let people book themselves in. seems to be working pretty well. So we're doing that concert in the Gorge. We also have uh, Mulgabor Hard Rock, which is one of the great desert bands. We've got uh, Flora, which is an all-female collective of musicians, but they're collaborating uh, with the Launceston uh, hip hop artist Grace Chia, it's it's going to be a great great day. Tell us a little bit about how the Queens of the Stone Age reached out to you, because I think our listeners would love to hear that story. 
Well, the Queens of the Stone Age played a benefit concert at Mona a few years back, uh, and it was for the Royal uh, Hobart Children's Hospital. And they loved it so much, but then they were kind of walking around the site and they noticed, hey, ain't that a stage over there? (laughs) They noticed that we had a, a big outdoor stage, so they asked if they could come play this time. And then uh, we've since added another benefit concert also for the Royal Hobart Children's Hospital and 24 Carats, which is a a nutritional gardening uh, charity that is is associated with Kirsha, who's the wife of David Walsh, the museum owner. For anyone who hasn't experienced a gig or really an event in that space on the lawn at Mona, what is it like? Well, we've got a stage which is kind of retro because I remember playing there with the Femmes back in 2007. So it's been there for a long time. And it's a beautiful lawn in between uh, the stage and also our uh, restaurant. It fits several thousand people and there's nothing like it, especially in the summer, Tasmania, that, that's when it really comes alive. And you can just uh, kick back, drink some wine because we make it, food because we make it, and (laughs) have a great time, and duck into the museum. There's always heaps of free stuff happening in whichever location. I know you're no permanent physical home. What would you say are the two things to kind of single out if you're spending time in Hobart or if you're in Launceston? Well, we already talked about the Gorge concert, which is the main uh, free thing that's happening in Launceston. I'm really excited about Yahon Chong, who's a Taiwanese artist who's going to be doing a free performance at Prince's Wharf One, which is a it's a it's a gigantic uh, industrial kind of space that we used to use as the festival hub in the early days of the festival. So he's got canvases that'll be spread over the floor in a huge. Uh, setting. And then he's got big paintbrushes, which are taller than him, actually. And he's he'll be moving around, creating a, a kind of calligraphy style, abstract expressionist, yet very traditional in some ways, uh, work of art live. And it's a, it's it'll be happening over the course of about an hour. So it starts with a blank canvas on the floor. And then in the end, We don't know exactly what it'll look like, but it's going to be very beautiful. I've seen some footage of it, and I think it'll be one of the art events in Australia this year. Um, Another great free thing that we're doing is we have uh, something called the Shruti Sessions, which is a collaboration with Indian musicians. So we're bringing in some musicians uh, from India, including Debashish Bhattacharya would probably be the most well-known one of them, uh, collaborating with some of the Indian-trained uh, but non-Indian musicians in Australia, such as Adrian Sharif on the on the trombone and uh, Sandy Evans on the saxophone, uh, Ben Walsh on percussion, people of that nature. And they'll be developing a new work uh, in residence for the for the for the second week of the festival, and there'll be a lot of free concerts attached to that. So it's a it's it's really important for us to foster collaborations and also have fun uh, bringing people together. 
Will that be at the Frying Pan Studios? They will be um, doing some recordings at Frying Pan Studios, which is worth mentioning. We have a number of artists uh, recording there at Frying Pan Studios this time, and you can actually come into the museum and look at the uh, at the recording sessions as they're they're happening. Uh, we have the soundboard, the original soundboard from Abbey Road Studios in London. Uh, <laughs> Which was uh, a friend of mine, Dave Roper, bought this board and he was trying to put together a studio and he was having difficulty with the red tape in Melbourne. And I, I was like, uh, Dave, your board is kind of museum quality and we kind of have a museum. So why don't we get together? And that's how uh, Frying Pan started. But the concerts uh, with Shruti Sessions will be at the Muna Arts Center, which is a community arts center in between uh, Hobart and where Mona is. So it's equidistant and it's a good spot for people to drop in. So when anyone comes to Monofoma, a lot of it is about wandering around and kind of discovery, not just things that you've booked in advance or plan to go and see. You must have some great tips for people for discovering food and drink in both of those cities. Is there anywhere that you like to go to, either for coffee or lunch? In Launceston, my favorite uh, coffee place is called Sweet Brew. Um, it's run by uh, a family, and they've been—they've actually uh, moved to another location since we started the festival. It's expanded, and it's uh, really high-tech. So that's, that's a great place to get coffee. Uh, Hobart has many, so many places. Uh, good coffee shops. Uh, I really like a, a place called Pigeonhole Bakery because it's in the same building as, as my office. So <laughs> the Monofoma offices are in the same building. So we probably get heavily caffeinated from them as well as eating their bakery. We've been asking all of our guests about a memorable meal they've eaten recently. Is there anywhere that comes to mind for you? Well, I don't have to really search my memory bank too far because last night I went to St. Peter, which is, um, it's in Paddington. And it's a it's an interesting concept for a restaurant because they use, not only do they only make food from fish, um, and, they, and they use vegetables, uh, but anyway, the, the protein that they use is fish, but they use all parts of the fish, including the eyes, the bones, uh, the skin parts that a lot of people would throw away. They like, for example, they made the plates out of the bones of the fish. That was interesting, and they made an ice cream with the eyes of uh, <laughs> of uh, one of the it's fish. Murray Cod Row. Yeah, it is. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. How you can kind of taste some of the fat within that ice cream, but it's also, it's delicious. You wouldn't really have to think about where and how it's been made. We've had Josh Nyland on the podcast ah. as well. He's obviously a champion for sustainability in seafood. Was it the gelato that was your favorite from that particular night? I think, well, they had one which was called dry-aged yellowtail tuna, which was presented as a steak. One of their things is that they present a lot of things like as a like an andouille sausage for example, but it's made from fish. So this was presented pretty much as a steak. I, I really enjoyed that and they used the sauce that they had created from boiling down all the stuff, you know, like just boiling it into a very heavy stock. That was that was pretty tasty. But 
I guess I give them a lot of credit for the originality of the concept and just going for it and, and you know, be, being willing to take on a, a bold approach like that and do it to the nth degree. Now, you're a bassist for the Violent Femmes. You are within the field of music, which is often a nighttime activity, especially going to gigs <laughs> and playing gigs. But I wanted to find out, are you a morning or a nighttime person? Well, that's a that's a pretty good question because uh, over the course of my life, I switched from being nocturnal to being more of a daytime person. And now I'm like a very early morning person, which, well, I would have never, th- like when the Femme started, I would have never thought of that. But... Uh, What's very early morning? Oh, when the sun comes up, which, which sometimes in Tasmania, uh, if I'm there, that can be around 4.30 in the morning. So it's pretty insane. Actually, I have a crazy bird that lives outside the the window and it's it shrieks and starts going crazy at about 4.30 at the, at the summer solstice. So I've come to like him a little bit, but anyway, it's, <laughs> yeah, I've become more of a morning person. And I've found that if you want to really get something done, you have to do it first thing, you know, because if you'd say, oh, I'll do that later, very likely you won't. I completely agree. The way that my day is going, I wish I had got up at the crack of dawn to get that one thing done. But how are you spending that early morning time? Is it work? Is it it play? Well, there are a few things that I do every day, which is yoga and uh, sauna, because I have a sauna. And also, I practice the shakuhachi, which is Japanese bamboo flute. And we have a, a specific regimen, which we are supposed to do every day. So it's um, it's a discipline and it's a kind of a ritual in a sense, but it's also a good way to make sure that you practice because um, every year I'm supposed to do one song a thousand times in a year. So that's three times for that song. And then there are three other songs that we're supposed to play every day. And then there are a few chants and also whatever songs we're studying or working on. So it's, it's a, and it's good to have that discipline and make sure that you, you do it because if you just do it, when you feel like it, you may not do it. It's a good way to live, to have that discipline, especially if it's something creative, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are other things I like to do, swim, um, we have a place on the on the beach, so that's something that I do almost every day. So there are there are certain things that you do every day, but of course, in the music business, there's so much uncertainty, not only professionally, but even just in terms of where you're going to be, how much you have to travel, and uh, it's it's good to have a few things that are you're like, okay, I'm going to do this every day because so many other things are out of your control. You've been curating the festival for 16 years now. That's a very long time. Do you have any rituals or anything that you'd like to do every single festival? Well, um, it's, it's, it's been a challenge to, to try to do things the same way. I was going to say that we have pipe organ music every year of the festival, but this year we actually don't. So this is the first year that we don't have that. Although it's such an obscure thing that probably, um, 
you know, we'll we'll pick we'll pick it up again in the future, and it it won't seem like a big mistake that we haven't done it this year. But um, yeah, there's I try to try to avoid repetition in the festival because so many festivals are very predictable and um, f- even formulaic, really. So there the few things that we have uh, every year is is mixing uh, things together that are not supposed to go together um, mixing classical music in with with like hip-hop or I mean not necessarily always at the same time but on the same bill juxtaposing things to create uh, kind of cognitive dissonance in the audience but get them into th- into things that they wouldn't otherwise really experience so we're doing a lot of that in the weekend that we're having the Mona sessions. You know, for example, we have uh, Michael Rother playing the music of Noi. Uh, and uh, the same day we have Wednesday, which is a country band from the uh, United States. Uh, Shonen Knife, punk band from Japan. So uh, mixing these things up is, is a way of taking people on a musical journey. So that's basically what I try to do every year. And where are you mostly based? Where are you living nowadays? Um, that's another really good question with a, an unusual answer. My wife has recently taken on the job of being the executive director of the Fulbright Commission in Canberra. So I'm spending a lot of time in Canberra, but I still live in, in Hobart. That's That's the home. And then I also have this other life on the road, which happens a lot in the States lately. Uh, because the state's uh, music industry is bouncing back pretty strong, and there are a lot of gigs. What's an underrated thing to do in Canberra that we should probably know about? Well, I think that uh, Canberra is a remarkable city for uh, cultural activities. Um, I don't think it's underrated, but I really enjoy going to the National Gallery of Australia, uh, I was just there a few days ago and uh, taking a bike spin around what they call the fake lake, Lake Burley Griffin. It's a great biking city. So if if I was, a lot of Australians have never been to Canberra. They tell me, oh, Canberra, poor you. Oh, my God. And I'm like, well, when was the last time you were there? Well, I've never been there, but uh, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's not. It's great. So I would tell people, get a bike, ride around. It's it's a beautiful city. A person we haven't mentioned that I feel like we really should is Courtney Barnett. Ah. She's doing two, is it two special gigs? Gigs? Uh, she's this time she's doing one last time she she did two and that started her on her kind of solo thing she she was reticent to play solo in Launceston but it was a special request and then she liked it so much she started touring around the state solo this time she's doing uh, two sets one of which is her new album which is kind of an ambient album mostly instrumental uh, and then she'll be doing greatest hits and that's going to be at the Odeon uh, theater, which is fantastic. It's a, actually a replica of a famous theater that no longer exists in New York City, but um, exists in Hobart. I didn't know that. That's, yeah. a, that's a fun fact. Yeah. Is there anything that you are personally looking forward to doing this particular festival? 
I have not booked myself into the festival, but that's another thing. Like your, your earlier question, I could have said I play in the festival every year, and I have, but I haven't planned anything. So I'm looking forward to that special moment when one of the artists says, hey, Brian, would you like to jam? Because <laughs> I do like to do that. Well, I guess if anyone's listening, uh, you could be that artist. You could be the artist calling Brian in to just make that particular moment feel extra special. Every festival, I like to play a little bit. One year I didn't play and then there was a DJ ending the festival and at the end of his set, and this is completely uncontrived, he played one of the Femmes tunes. So I was able to actually say, I was there. <laughs> that sounds like a, a moment that just if you, you couldn't have planned it. And that's exactly what this festival is all about. It's music, it's art, it's other stuff. And it's especially those moments that feel spontaneous. Absolutely. We really need to embrace live performance and the arts in general um, as a path to sanity, because I think that the world has pretty much gone insane. Uh, the COVID thing, people think that it's Oh, think oh yeah, we're we're over it. But actually, it has had a lasting effect on on society. And I think one of the best ways that we can get back to our mental health really is to embrace the arts and try new things and listen to new things and experience the festivals and getting together with other people. Uh, there's nothing like live music to really express. The, the deepest and also the funnest parts of humanity. So if there's anyone listening who is thinking, ah, oh, you know, I can't go right now. I might go to Dark Mofo. We should remind everyone that that festival is on a kind of hiatus or it's on a reduced program. Well, they'll still be doing the Winter Feast, which is very popular, but the bulk of their program is not happening this year, but they'll be back next year. I mean, they'll be back in uh, 25 with a full festival. So this really is the chance to go and experience it all in that colourful, vibrant way that we know and love Monophoma to be about. It's back from February 15th to March the 2nd and all the details are at monophoma.net.au. Thanks so much, Brian. My pleasure. 